Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Today I'm welcoming back one of my favorites, the author of Peckerwood and Fierce Bitches, a blogger at his own terrific site, Hardboiled Wonderland, my friend and Pandemic Movie Club buddy, Mr. Jed Ayers. Jed, thank you so much for being here. We talk all the time, so it's awesome of you to return. So how are you doing and how's summer treating you? Summer is almost over, thank God. <laughs> brutal. Really yes. brutal. Uh, kids are getting ready to go back to school and the kids are getting ready to go back to school for the third year now affected by this damn virus. Uh, this is ridiculous, but, uh, yeah, we're looking at, yep, they're going back in person, but it's all masked up still and good plexiglass and all that. And, and at the beginning of it, we just could not have imagined that. Two school years years later, we'd still be here. Yeah. Oh, not good. Are they eligible to get vaccines? I don't know the ages. They are both vaccinated. Okay. Yeah. They're, um, yeah, one's a senior and and the other's a sophomore in high school. So, okay. uh, Both vaccinated. So that's good. But, but still, yeah. Yeah. Not cool. Uh, so is that coming up in a week or two? Does it start in September there? Uh, It starts, um, Next week is the last week of summer, and we'll okay. be uh, going to visit my family in Arkansas. So, uh, okay, hopefully, we won't be catching. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> catching uh, yourself, yeah. Not good. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just heard from my dad today. He's vaccinated and uh, got COVID. Uh, I talked to him over the weekend for his birthday and he was like, I have a really bad cold and I normally don't get this tired when I'm sick and I didn't want to like freak him out. Uh, So I was worried. I knew my stepmom would be on top of it and just got the call. Yeah, it's COVID. I mean, he's doing okay. Like he was vaccinated in February with J and J. So he'd probably be way sicker, but really run down. So yeah, it's scary out there. Yeah. I hate to hear that. I'm sorry. No, I know not the thing I thought I would hear today, but I'm glad at least to be uh, talking to a friend and getting distracted (laughs) by really crazy movies. So this will be good. And yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. But one of my very favorite things about you, Jed, is just how much you enjoy doing research and digging into various topics, whether it's when you spontaneously decide to watch the entire filmography of an actor or a director, Bill Boyle style, kind of, or read the source material as well so you can evaluate it. And this was no exception for this episode when you suggested today's topic of extreme sports crime movies. This was an idea I think you had last winter, right? Initially for Hard Boiled Wonderland. What can you tell us about its origins? Uh, Yeah, it's just a, it's one of those, Subgenres that uh, probably because of my age had uh, an um, un, um, unlikely uh, uh, kind of heft behind it in, in my, my formative years um, mm-hmm. in the 90s. Uh, some of the films we're talking about today um, were 
were very, uh, very much things I was into. And then uh, for the last, um, really the nineties, the two thousands, uh, they really continued to crank out, crank out these movies. And, and because they're, um, mostly crappy movies, <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a subgenre, uh, that's, um, doesn't get much respect, but I think it's, I think it's, uh, very worth, uh, very worth going into. I love, I love, uh, the excuse to talk about, uh, bad, uh, bad reputation cinema on always your, yeah on your otherwise very very uh uh oh, classy podcast so thanks for <laughs> me do oh you're too um, kind well we talk about everything so it works well you're a veteran prolific list maker over on letterboxd and i think you sent me multiple densely packed screen grabs of movies that we could have discussed and who knows, as you joked, maybe there's a sponsorship coming from Mountain Dew or even Gatorade to turn this into a spinoff podcast. But since last time we chatted, I believe we tackled nearly like a dozen titles in that crime movie remakes episode. So this mm-hmm. time we decided to make it a bit easier, easier on ourselves and highlight four movies, including BMX Bandits from 1983. 1991's Point Break, Cliffhanger, which came out two years later, followed by Drop Zone in 1994. I'm sure we're going to reference a bunch of other movies, but let's dive in, starting with our Australian import, BMX Bandits, which was released in 1983 and happens to star one of the country's most famous exports, the wonderful Nicole Kidman. That's right, the future Oscar winner plays Judy, who we first meet as she's fired from her job collecting and corralling shopping carts, or trolleys rather, after they're crashed into by two BMX enthusiasts, Goose, played by James Lugton, and Angelo D'Angelo's PJ, becoming friends with the two after they find and sell some police band radios that they find other kids in Sydney, they find themselves in peril when the bumbling crooks who'd been planning to use those walkie-talkies in a payroll robbery decide to try to track down our three bike-riding bandits. Colorful, fast-paced, inventive, and crazily ambitious, with some epic Keystone Cops-level gags and a thrilling chase scene that goes on for several minutes, across multiple Sydney landmarks. Director Brian Trenchard-Smith's film was new to me and it's a whole lot of fun. So what are your thoughts on this one, Jed? Uh, I think I'm glad glad that, that we're including it because, yeah. um, uh, you know, not only is it tonally fair amount different than, than the other pictures we're looking at, uh, it's, it's from a slightly different era. It's from the early 80s. Um, it's very decidedly kid friendly. Yeah. Um, and it's also, uh, it's Brian Trenchard Smith, uh, who I think is really, uh, kind of a, kind of a pioneer of this, uh, sub genre. A few years earlier, uh, he did a movie called, uh, death cheaters, which is kind of, uh, one of the first probably of these, uh, extreme sports, um, oh, crime really? thrillers. Yeah, it, it just, I mean, it's, it's such a loose, loose term. There's all kinds of things you could, you could uh, say 
you know, kind of wedge in there to fit. But but when the kind of the excuse for the story is to put you in these situations with uh, with these extreme sports um, and what extreme sports are compared to other sports is, you know, also highly debatable. But um, yeah, he. He kind of he he started off his career very uh, enamored of uh, stuntmen and specifically an Australian stuntman named Grant Page. Okay. Uh, and his first several features um, were pretty much just following Grant Page around doing <laughs> doing crazy stunts and even learning how to do these stunts himself. Like when they when they would release movies uh, for several. Uh, early films, Brian Trenchard Smith and Grant Page would go around uh, like in, to in-person events at, at like malls and multiplexes and, um, uh, and, and uh, film, uh, film markets and things like that. And base and light themselves on fire and, you know, like get hit by us. cars and get, <laughs> that's exactly where I'm going with that. Yes. yes. I do think uh, these films are kind of proto jackass, um, you know, they, they branch out into a couple different ways. The crime thriller aspect that's there in Death Cheaters and in BMX Bandits and goes on to be its own, you know, pretty vibrant uh, uh, genre, subgenre for a while. Uh, there's the other side of it that's that is it's just it's jackass. It's just let's put something on screen that you want to look at and not waste time with anything else just constantly. So, you know, if you're interested in, in others uh, like that, then uh, the stunt men and the Kung Fu killers and um, uh, stunt rock are very, very uh, worth checking out. But, but BMX bandits, I think was probably his most commercially successful. Um, and I mean, what do you know? You got, you got breakout star, um, 15 year old Nicole Kidman out front. Yeah, so uh, you know, that's maybe, crazy. Maybe that, maybe the, uh, the um, candy colored, you know, the, the color scheme and, and, and vibrancy of uh, the soundtrack and, and all that uh, are, are, you know, what sets it apart from uh, uh, death cheaters and other things like that. But uh, man, what a, what a fun movie. And honestly, I, I had forgotten a lot about it uh, before I, we re- I rewatched it a couple weeks ago, and um, yeah, it's so fun. I'm glad you suggested this one. And it was funny when I was looking it up, and I, I think I posted that I was watching it because you had recommended it. I heard from Maria Lewis, who is uh, Blake Howard, our friend's bestie, is Maria, and she just put in like capital letters the trench because he's such a beloved figure there, Brian Trenchard Smith. Mm-hmm. And so when I Googled him, I found like the craziest uh, whoever wrote his Wikipedia page, like the first paragraph made me laugh so hard. I'm going to read it out loud. <laughs> it is. Okay, okay. It's his name. And then an English Australian filmmaker and author known for his idiosyncratic and satirical low budget genre films. His filmography covers action, science fiction, martial arts, dystopian fiction, comedy, war, family, thriller, romance, and erotica. And his works tend to be cross-genre pieces. And I thought, boy, this guy's really done it all. I mean, he made a family movie. He made erotica. He made sci-fi. Basically, give this guy a camera, let him follow around the right people, and uh, he can create some magic. The movie, when I watched it, reminded me of one that I used to love in the 80s 
It was made for TV. I don't know if you saw it. Did you ever see the, the Brat Patrol? No, I don't okay. know that one. It was with like Nia Long and I want to say Sean Astin. And it was made for Wonderful World of Disney, like ABC in the 80s. And it was um, Brat Patrol is Born, Raised, and Trapped is what the acronym was. And it was basically <laughs> the kids of military um on these bases getting in trouble and figuring things out and like action and doing little espionage it was a lot of fun and so when i was watching this i was like ah it's that same if you liked brat patrol you're probably going to get a kick out of this yeah or that sounds like yeah yeah, that sounds like a good a good fit in the 80s of course also had there was just a bunch of uh uh, kind of seminal uh kids on bikes or skateboards movies you know another one that could have fit into the crime thriller uh is you know gleaning the cube with uh, christian slater Slater. seems like uh gleaning the cube or bmx bandits or rad or you know like one of those movies seems like oh my it was god on. i remember rad yeah yeah every yeah. weekend i uh you know around my house uh the my brother and his friends especially would would play rad over and over and over again mm-hmm. just kind of fast forward to the the biking montages so uh you know uh, yeah. i'm all all about that that's fine yeah, I know. And I got a big, a big kick out of the whole sequence where they were going down like water slides. We went through the right? mall. It's just a, like, you know, I'm 40, but it makes you like basically turn into a four year old kid when you're watching this. You're just like, cool. And you want to watch it again and again. And so much fun. Yeah. If if you like that that sequence in uh, Death Cheaters, they use that same mall uh, for a dune buggy chase. So oh, um, awesome! Uh, yeah, and Death Cheaters also involves uh, like uh, paragliding and um, uh, some uh, mountain climbing and and okay, cool. uh, stuff like that. So yeah, check that you, one out. Yeah, I will. You know, another one that he made that I've always heard was. Well, I've heard different things about it, but have you seen, I think it's called Turkey Shoot. Did you see that one? I have seen Turkey Shoot. Okay, um, people. I have seen yes. 40 Brian Trenchard Smith. Wow. So is, I uh... should have figured you probably like, <laughs> you're like, you can't tell me anything about this guy. Yeah. Oh no, please do. Please tell me <laughs> oh, whatever. I don't know but, anything, uh, but yeah. Turkey Shoot came out right before BMX Bandits okay. and uh, was it was a hugely ambitious project. That's what I heard. Uh, this dystopian sort of, you know, proto Hunger Games battle royale uh, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, but they, it was kind of disastrous in production. Um, it had about a quarter of its budget cut in the last like couple weeks before the uh, the production began, and that included. A quarter of its uh, shooting day so it was supposed to be like a 40-day production and went down to like a 20-day production or 25-day production and, um so that and it was so uh they they a lot of the uh, the crazy stuff they planned to do for the film um they couldn't do any longer so what they leaned on was making it very bloody and gory because that was mm. uh, that's inexpensive uh yeah you know, so they uh it's real kind of cheap looking a lot of the stuff but i i maintain it's it's a very fun bloody movie uh but the it 
it looked like it had maybe killed his career. Um, like oh, it was really, wow. It was panned. Everybody hated it. Um, and, um, and BMX bandits is, is what he did, what he did next. And it was uh, maybe his biggest hit. So, uh, yeah. Glad he got another chance. For and sure. it's such a tonally different one. You know, Turkey Shoot was very, mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say it's mature. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's not mature, but it's a very, uh, it's much more adult uh, than, yeah. than BMX Bandits. Yeah. And I heard originally they wanted to make this movie um, about like nine-year-olds and nobody was interested. And then they rewrote it for teenagers. And I think they hit kind of the right target age, you know, got 16-year-old Nicole. Uh, I read that when it um, premiered, like the Guardian, when they reviewed it, said there's a girl called um, Nicole Kidman. She's rather good, which I thought was very, very funny. But she sprained her ankle during the filming. And so they couldn't find a female stunt double to do her riding. So they just basically put a wig on a guy and he carried it all out. So I think that's why her hair sort of grows in the movie. Like you see it one way and it's really cute. And then you see it and she's got this like real frizzy kind of thing going on. And I think probably so you can uh, put a guy in the wig. But um, yeah, you know, it works. Just shoot it from afar. We don't know. It's magic Mm. of the movie. (laughs) Absolutely. And I love that she's really proud of it. Like on her Instagram, somebody shared recently, she posted a picture of herself wearing the BMX bandit shirt. And so I, I love that. It's not like, oh my God, I made BMX bandits. Like she's still, she's a bandit still. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, a mix of tones in the movie that I think is yeah. kind of charming now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time might've been a little, I don't, I'm not sure if it worked better uh, at the time or if it works better now. Um, but, you know, you go from these, it, like watching it again, the, the opening bank heist scene is, mm-hmm. it's kind of badass looking. Like it's actually it really is. A lot of, like point break, you know, they're putting on those, those rubber pig masks in the, uh, in the van and, and they're loading shotguns and they go in, they pull off a pretty pretty good heist sequence. Um, and you know, and then it, it turns into Scooby-Doo after a while when they're, they're running around the cemetery at night. And, um, yeah, that was kind of a Scooby-Doo scene. I know it was funny to watch this in quick succession with point break because it, you know, with the bank robbery, the masks, like they're wearing pig masks and mm-hmm. pulling off a heist. Yeah. I thought the heist was actually kind of impressive. Yeah. At the beginning. I was like, what yeah. movie is this? You know, Jed undersold this thing. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it gets super goofy. Uh, it does, yeah. Really quick, super goofy. Um, oh, but, I love uh, the head villain. Uh, the actor playing him was so funny. Yeah. But, you, you know, at different points, you got you got kids in peril. You know, yeah. it's hard to, it's it's a little hard to imagine that they would have had the same movie if if they'd had been stuck with nine or ten year olds yeah. you know you're holding guns to them and things like that but um mm-hmm. uh yeah it, it's a fun one um and uh yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what else to say about it just it's it's bright and bouncy and colorful and uh, yes everybody check it out the it's stupid on, like, jokes are yes. non-stop and groan worthy and you love that <laughs> 
Yeah, it's on like almost all of the platforms basically for free. So, you know, you can find it everywhere. But yeah, totally worth watching. Yes. Well, we should probably go to our next movie, which chronologically, but it is another one that involves those masks and bank robberies. So originally developed in 1986 as a potential film for director Ridley Scott. Over the next few years, W. Peter Illiff's script for what was then called Johnny Utah, based on a story by himself and Rick King per IMDb, was rewritten by two then-married filmmakers, James Cameron and Catherine Bigelow, with Cameron in mind to produce, and Blue Steel and near-dark filmmaker Catherine Bigelow ready to direct, eventually going to bat for Keanu Reeves, who was Bigelow's first and only choice for the lead against the studio and even Cameron's objections because they just couldn't see it. Point Break which finds Keanu Reeves cast as an ambitious young FBI agent going undercover to bust a band of surfers who moonlight as bank robbers is the film that made the Bill and Ted's excellent adventure lead an action star. Opposite Reeves is a big bonafide movie star, the veteran of Dirty Dancing and Roadhouse actor Patrick Swayze who plays the wildly charismatic but incredibly dangerous Bodhi, a surf guru and adrenaline junkie who befriends Reeves' Johnny Utah. But their homoerotic bromance is threatened when they discover that they're not just like-minded wave seekers, but in reality, a cop and a robber. Thrown into the mix is Laurie Petty, Gary Busey, John C. McGinley, James LeGros, Tom Sizemore, and more. Oh, and it is in the SoCal early 90s movie without a cameo by Anthony Kiedis from Red Hot Chili Peppers, much to our friend Travis's chagrin, filled with not just awesome surf scenes, but skydiving and some of the best chase and fight choreography and direction you'll ever see in an American movie. The film is perfect for not only its stars, but also Bigelow who loves to follow adrenaline-fueled outsiders who travel this world in male-dominated packs, as she would do most famously in her Oscar-winning film, The Hurt Locker. I love Point Break, and I know you do too, so talk to me about it. Well, honestly, when when I was thinking about doing this, this uh, episode, I thought perhaps we ought not to talk about Point Break just because it's so famous it's well it and it's it it's like doing a, a it, it's the godfather of extreme sports crime films it's it's it the <laughs> it's really the peak it's it's firing on all cylinders it mixes the tones you know the the these movies tend to to go back and forth uh or lean heavy into one tone the like kind of super serious uh and the really just runaway goofy adrenaline um uh rides you know the 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 remake of point break fell into the the latter category and 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 was not was not very competently uh i didn't even Um, see it yeah but uh yeah it's a pretty joyless you know action photography some sports action photography uh the the gunfights and things like that are not not great either but um okay. but man this is a beautiful beautiful film um, it is 
every level. It's the most, you know, when we were talking about the doing this, you were uh, rightly pointing out that, you know, uh, the picks that I had were, were uh, pretty much pretty macho, pretty, pretty male centric and, you know, skydiving. Could we find something <laughs> else and skydiving centric, but, uh, but point break is maybe the most macho of them and the most successful and directed by a woman. Who, I know. Uh, oh, no problem with this fantastic. one. I love it. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I think she's, she's uh, one of those, filmmakers who is really at home with and doing her best work often when she's uh when she's looking at those those kind of macho tropes and, and yeah. uh, things like that she's she's got interesting things to say and and um yeah i was a teenager when this came out and i wanted to see it so badly i was not able to see it at the theater i wasn't allowed to see many movies but um mm. I first rented it uh, at the grocery store up the street from my house. I snuck it home. I uh, pretended I was going to take my dog for a walk. And I, oh, wow. I took him and, and uh, tied him to a, a tree not, not far from our, our house. And, and I, <laughs> I ran like hell up the street to rent the movie. And I came home and I threw the VHS cassette through the second story bedroom window where oh I placed God, my, my mattress on the floor so it wouldn't make a noise when it landed. Um, so yeah, I had the open window that I chucked the VHS through and I got my dog and came back in and I looked out of breath and he did not look like he'd been running around and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and went up, went upstairs and, and watched the movie with the sound pretty much off uh, so that I wouldn't get caught uh, watching it. And uh, yeah, I were obsessed it. ever since. Obsessed. This is the best since. story of like how I first saw a movie. I think I've ever heard on this podcast. Really? This is oh. amazing. Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. Well, did uh, you, did you like repeat this experiment with other movies? Were there other ones where you're like, you know, I got to put that mattress on the floor because when I absolutely. That video, okay. Absolutely. It was like so a this well-oiled was well-oiled machine here. This was the uh, the age of um, every grocery store and gas yes. station having a video section, and not oh, just a video I section, but like a um, uh, you could rent VCRs there, which I had to do often because mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have VCR for a while. And so, um, yeah. in fact, one of the very first. Uh, short stories I ever had published was about um, a couple of guys who rob a um, rob a convenience store and get carried away with cleaning out the VHS selection. Um, oh my god, they, that's brilliant! Yeah, so you um, need to send me that because I would read that <laughs> in a second. Yeah, I remember this too. Like the best thing about going to—I mean, you could even yeah—it was like go to in my hometown it was like Snyder's or wherever and it was two for a dollar at the drugstore and you know you could get movies everywhere and yeah they did we had a VCR but but I had friends who were renting the VCRs from these places and it was amazing yeah I actually didn't see this at the theater either um it was like when was it 90 uh it came out i think so i would 91, have been 91 think, yeah so i was ten i saw it when it was new on video though um yeah so yeah and it became like an instant favorite my brother was watching it all the time and 
he was like my idol and best friend. So I just would sit and watch whatever he was watching. So this became my, one of my favorites and yeah, it really was just mind blowing. I remember, um, you know, and you remember like, uh, dumb little scenes like I think you and I went back and forth with the the size more you know you think I like this hair like you know you'll just sort of latch on to a, <laughs> one little section of the movie and then you find who mm-hmm. else is like obsessed uh Travis did a really good um rum and rants on our friend Blake uh podcast about this and uh, I think he called it broke back mountain with surfboards because it's so emotional i've read that it's been um called like a a wet western it is kind of a western really um you know it's basically these two sort of macho people who would bond and would be like best friends but you know the law gets in the way um talk to me about the um the performances uh what do you think of there's been some back and forth on Keanu being good. I think he's great in the movie. Some other people didn't. Bigelow said she was going to cut his hair, dress him, teach him to walk, teach him to move, teach him to, she's like, I'm going to make him a movie star because it's there. And nobody huh. else believed it. But I think he's great. I love Swayze. I think Swayze's on another level here. He's using that charm as a weapon. Busey, you know, Utah get me too is just... <laughs> so good. Uh, so what do you think of these performances? Yeah, I think, I mean, you can't, you can't second guess any of these now. I mean, yeah. obviously when you read some of the casting rumors that, you know, somebody, the studio wanted Johnny Depp or somebody in the role. Yeah. And, like, Well, I can kind I can of, I can understand it. that, but, uh, um, but yeah, no, this, uh, this is, one of the quintessential uh, Keanu roles that, you know, Mm -hmm. would his career have happened the way it has without this movie? Probably not. Um, And uh, apparently, uh, apparently Swayze was originally uh, auditioning for the Johnny Utah role. Yeah. Um, That's what I heard. So that's a, that's hard to kind of wrap your mind around. He seems, Mm -hmm. um, I think, Correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I think when he came on as Bodie is when the the title maybe changed from Johnny Utah, and it, it like yes, he, had, it he brought mm-hmm. something so kind of compelling to the character that yep. it was like, uh, no, this is a two, uh, a, yeah, a dual a lead, yeah, yeah, dual lead film, um, and that's great, and. And the supporting cast is amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, James Legro was, of course, in everything uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to see around uh, around that time. And and um, uh, John C. McGinley and That's Gary so Busey. I like this, that it's the um, it's the uh, the middle chapter of his uh, yep. ex- extreme sports movies. John Milius's Big Wednesday being probably a you know, it's not a crime movie at all, but, but, you know, sort of a spiritual, uh, uh, parent of point break and, uh, um, and, and also the book, uh, tapping the source by Kim Nunn, which, uh, is widely considered, uh, the, you know, part of the inspiration, mm-hmm. uh, point break big Wednesday plays a big part in, in that sort of mythologizing of, of surf 
SoCal surf con- uh, culture. Uh, and then of, of course, we'll talk about drop zone later where uh, yep. he shows up to, uh, to complete his cycle. You bet. Um, yeah. <laughs> you need these. No, yeah. you're exactly right. It was Johnny Utah. Then you get another movie star in there and uh, the chemistry. It's like, you can't just call it Johnny Utah. I don't know if we would still be talking about this movie if it was called Johnny Utah either. I kind of have a hard time believing that. Um, it was going to be Riders on the Storm for a while, but then people are like, that has nothing to do with the Doors song and the lyrics. Like, why are you thinking Riders on the Storm? So they got rid of that. Finally, it became Point Break because of uh, the link to surfing. Um, yeah, and I think another thing that this movie, watching it today, and it was like really a week after I did, um, it's kind of funny, it's sort of a trifecta here. It was a week after I did an episode all on Jim Cameron, so I rewatched T2, which I think is the best um, American-made um action movie at the time or of all time really and then this is one of them and you called it the godfather and i'm talking to sean cosby in a couple days about the godfathers so it's like this is weird timing yeah but watching (laughs) it um after t2 which has one of my favorite chase scenes ever this one is right up there though uh i think i watched the see the sequence um a couple times i mean First of all, this is a woman who comes up with the most inventive things. I mean, we have a scene. It starts out where they're like on a stakeout, uh, they're eating junk food, and then they're then it's a car chase. Then we have like a, a shoot down and fire at a gas station. Then we're on foot. We go through a house. A woman is like hitting a guy with a vacuum. Uh, she comes up with a bit where he throws a dog at Keanu Reeves. Then we're back on foot. And we're jumping down into like the flood uh, channel or, you know, um, forgetting the blank. Uh, His football injury comes back. We have this thing where he recognizes him. And it's this weird, you know, shooting this guy that was later parodied in Hot Fuzz. Like this thing goes on for several minutes and it's one of the most exciting chase sequences ever. And that's not even talking about, you know, the aerial stunt work and the surf. Uh, stuff Patrick Swayze actually did like 55 real jumps he refused to have um, stunt people um, so he did his own stuff and scared the hell out of everybody um, that did it um, also the big fight sequence with the lawnmower I mean yeah Bigelow is fearless and it's all over this film yeah. that uh, that that sequence also contains what I think if, if I had to boil point breakdown to a single iconic image i mean thematically you could get the uh the the clasping of arms midair into the in the skydive mm-hmm. chase or the you know uh, uh legs wrapped around each other uh yes. skydiving <laughs> scene. But honestly the uh the tuxedoed Reagan mask wearing gas pump, uh, flamethrower heat distorted yes. uh, image. I mean, that's, that's, Incredible. that's amazing iconography. This film should live forever in, in a consciousness because of yeah. that, that image alone. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, it's interesting. You went there for a minute. I was thinking you were going for the one where Keanu, well, it starts 
Pete, uh, Patrick Swayze prevent somebody from shooting Keanu. And then at the end of the thing, he can, he definitely has the drop on him. We saw that this guy is an ace shot. It opens uh, in the rain. It closes in the rain, which is a nice little uh, bookend, but where he like, it gets a hundred percent on his target shooting. So he could totally take Patrick Swayze out, but he locks eyes with him and he knows it's him and he lets him go. And so for a minute there, I thought you were going for the romantic um, thing of them looking at each other's eyes, but no, the, the flame thrower thing at the gas station. Yeah. That's incredible with the Reagan and that's Bigelow. She's operating on multiple levels at once. Multiple, multiple levels. I will say, uh, I tend to think of this movie now as a uh, almost a eh, a riff on. I guess you couldn't really say a remake of any sort, but a riff on the um, Thomas Crown affair. Uh, That's interesting. I can totally see that. Yeah, yeah, where it's this kind of romance mm-hmm. between the pursuer and the the hunt, the hunter and the hunted, and you know where they both understand what's going on but they're the attraction is strong enough that uh you yep. know, they're, they're just kind of daring each other to flinch and and uh break and yeah it's vincent hannah and flirtatious Neil and, yeah <laughs> but it, yeah, yeah good stuff good stuff all around i would like to point out too that chris peterson uh who played bunker weiss um mm-hmm. was uh you said travis was not a fan of anthony kiedis being in it but i got a I think Anthony Kiedis being in it with Bunker in that scene is great because Bunker or Chris Peterson also starred in Penelope Spheris's uh, Suburbia with Fleet. Oh, wow. So he's yeah, now been six on screen on screen with half of the Red Hot Chili Peppers or half yeah. of the uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> core members anyway. So um, Yeah, I know. I Yeah, I tend to disagree with Travis on that one. I think Anthony Kiedis was great there. He was he was scary. It was it was weird casting when he walks away, and uh, I think it was Laurie Petty explaining they were Nazi assholes, or I can't remember who tells mm-hmm. him that. Yeah, and you're like, you know, wait a minute, the Red Hot Chili Pepper guy. So I thought that was kind of funny. But he shoots himself in the foot, yeah. and he gets laid out with one punch because he didn't come to rehearsal to learn how to fight. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so they, they choreographed him to be taken out with one punch, and he shoots himself in the foot. I mean, that's. You can't have a big, too big no. an ego uh, yeah. to appear in a movie and, and do that. So um, exactly, yeah. Good, good for him. Good for him. Yeah. Um, uh, Busey uh, in that uh, scene where too, where the the lawnmower uh, scene where he shoots shoots the lawnmower engine on, mm-hmm. on that push mower. <laughs> he yeah. Shoots, shoots the <laughs> engine out and says. Uh, Speaking of the microphone, squid brain, there's a similar line in Big Wednesday. Call somebody a, a squid lips. And I, I just wonder if uh, that's going to be a callback. Well, I just, I mean, I don't know if it was in the script or if it's just something when Busey's riffing, if, uh, mm-hmm. if he goes to squid a lot. I'm not aware of other Busey <laughs> squid lines, but. Uh, yeah, you know, people are right now sharing stories of like horrible Q&As. And yeah. I'm sure this movie would evoke like really bad ones, but that would be an ideal question to have asked like over the years at a Q and a, uh, a Gary Busey, like, do you like the word squid? Cause what's the deal with the squid? <laughs> I think that would have been like a really interesting Q and a question for sure. 
Yeah, in my uh, women in film class in college, actually, that whole scene with the lawnmower, the fight scene with the naked woman, she was trying to, she was showing us sequences from movies. And um, the point was, of course, you shouldn't be able to tell if it's done expertly, uh, is, is the director of this a male or a female? And so she showed that whole sequence. And of course, I knew and they said, she's like, if you know, like, don't say and so I shut up and uh, I was watching most of the people are like, well, a guy directed this. And uh, yeah. yeah, so that was kind of funny. She was trying to point out there shouldn't be, you know, um, or that was her thesis anyway, especially on action movies or she said certain scenes you're going to see it. I mean, I think you can totally tell. Um, and I think that's a Bigelow thing. But yeah, no, good action is good action. And that's great action. Yeah. Yes. Great action. I'm curious what you think if she identifies most with any of the characters, because I mean, Lori Petty is in here as the lone uh, mm-hmm. woman with, uh, you know, any significant presence in the film, really. Um, and she's she's fed up with the, the macho stuff. You know, she's mm-hmm. you can tell she's attracted to it on one level, but she's also sees through it and kind of irritated by it on on another. You know, you don't you don't hook up with Johnny Utah and Bodie yeah. <laughs> and, and not be attracted to it. But yeah, she is quick to point out, you know, it's, it's uh, big wave writings for macho assholes with a death wish and you know, yeah. too much testosterone in here. I'm out and things like that. But I, yeah, it'd so be- I, don't, I don't know what, uh, what Catherine Bigelow's kind of point of view care. Like it, is she, yeah. she closer to any of these points? yeah it would be interesting i know that she wanted to make the script far more uh, of a psychological portrait like it was kind of a just a one note action thing before which is what um cameron and her when they were working on the script they were trying to make it far more into the psychology of just who these people are so i think that does fascinate her what you were saying about Lori petty is exactly right and it's kind of a recurring thing like near dark we have the female character who wants to kind of walk away from the pack um loveless you know they're attracted to the danger we have the one girl who's attracted to it but she is trying to escape so it's yeah there's there's some questions there there's an interesting through line of the female characters that are drawn to it and repulsed by it at the same time or trying to figure it out so yeah zero dark 30 where jessica Chastain is yeah. uh gonna make herself the most macho character in the film yeah <laughs> you know with yep. her she really does that sort of performative uh because she has to to get she anybody's does. attention and um yeah, but, yeah just like blue steel she still wants to be a woman but in order to survive in this environment yeah yeah she raises a lot of good questions i'm sure there's some great think pieces out there on that and maybe we're inspiring some right now who knows yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on this one? Uh, uh, so many, but we can, uh, we can move on. Okay. Well, I'm sure <laughs> if we think of any, we'll just like circle back or reference it. But next up, we have another full throttle piece of 90s action from director Rennie Harlan of Die Hard 2 fame. It's 1993's Cliffhanger, which some contemporary critics dismissed back then as diehard on a mountain but i think it's much more than that rebounding from the disastrous comedy stop or my mom will shoot 
and with what we believed at the time was the Rocky and Rambo franchises firmly in his rear view, Sylvester Stallone gives an assured performance as a Rocky Mountain rescue worker and avid mountain climber who, as the film opens, experiences a shocking tragedy when the inexperienced girlfriend of his best friend and colleague, played by Michael Rooker, plummets to her death on his watch retreating from everything and everyone when he goes back to the ranger station to try and get his own girlfriend and colleague in the form of Northern Exposure's Janine Turner to come with him. All hell breaks loose after lending a hand in a rescue op. Both Stallone and Rooker are held captive by the film's villains led by a gleefully scenery-chewing John Lithgow, who's just stolen $100 million from the U.S. Treasury. When their plane crashes and the money held in three separate suitcases equipped with tracking technology is scattered to different points in the mountains, Stallone and Rooker are forced to play fetch in action-packed spectacle with some breathless stunt work and buoyed by an extremely capable cast. Although I'll be the first to admit it does veer to the extremes in some of the fight sequences as our leads try to pick off the villains one by one. And it's easy to see why the film was initially saddled with an NC-17 in terms of violence in two fights. It's still a ridiculously entertaining movie with a For the Ages turn by John Lithgow, whose accent swings from British to like the French Captain Dreyfus in the Pink Panther series movies at times. And <laughs> I really dig it. He's going for it. So Jed, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, I, I like that uh, note about his... Uh... About his accent, because I, I think <laughs> John over. Lithgow, John Lithgow can talk however he wants. Exactly. I think, I think his accent is just psychopath, and uh, is, <laughs> is I think I think his Quaalen is absolutely uh, deserving of the uh, of its place on the uh, Lithgow Rushmore of psychopathic villains. Um, yes. So yeah. Um, so here's my history with Cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. I grew up not we've covered not not really allowed to watch movies yeah. much. I was I was extremely enamored of movies though. Uh, yeah. Watched what I could, loved movies, was obsessed with movies. I had friends who who said just ask Jed, you know, if you got questions about a movie because he hasn't seen any of them but he can tell you all about them. And, oh, I uh, love that. <laughs> uh, so I was also extremely resistant to movies I thought were marketed at me. Like, uh, you know, I thought being a, a young boy, uh, stuff like uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and Sylvester Stallone movies, I disliked them very much because oh, really I, interesting because I thought uh you know, these are, this is who they think I am, right? Like I'm going to mm. be power, powerless against this kind of uh, stupid stuff. Marketing, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, that was honestly, you know, obviously it was covering up, uh, you know, I was, I was a little too exposed by, <laughs> exposed by that. I didn't want it to be so easily uh, pinned down. I've come to enjoy a lot of those films mm -hmm. later uh when i'm a little more comfortable with myself <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, but this was the first uh stallone movie i saw 
that I I liked right away for what it was. I said this I like this Stallone. This is uh, this is good for me. Um, if you know, it's absolutely just as cartoonish uh, as as the Rambo sequels and and things like that as far as what his physicality and and what he's able to oh, pull yeah. off. But they they were they smuggled it in under you know uh, the guise of of you know other people do this stuff too um, you know Michael yep. Rooker in there John Lithgow is in there you know uh, fighting him and you you believe that the that they're equally matched uh, in in that fight scene um, I love this movie I uh, watching it alongside all these other films uh you know i probably watched 20 movies uh getting ready for this um and it really is you know after point break probably the the best of, oh yeah of the bunch um i would say so you know it looks spectacular the shots in the mountains are uh amazing the um there's a nice mix of uh, the uh, the kind of intimate uh, violence uh, where they're you know uh, like hand to hand combat, and then the mm-hmm. the action that's that's running along you know these yep. real locales, uh, uh, pretty breathless stuff, um, yeah. which is interesting for Rennie Harlan um, because I think of him now. I'm looking at his filmography. There's, I actually haven't seen all that many of his, of his films, but okay. I tend to think of him, uh, you know, in early stuff like the nightmare and Elm street movie he did and prison movie and, uh, of, of being great with these sort of closed, closed sets and, and atmospherics and, um, uh, and cliffhanger so wide open for the most part that, uh, mm. I, I was I was very impressed, and and I do think Die Hard on a Mountain works. Uh, yeah, you know it's 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 not as you know there there was what Die Hard on a bus with speed and Die Hard on a plane with Passenger Fifty Seven, and you know yeah. uh, actually Die Hard on a plane became its own thing with a bunch of others. Die Hard on a train, Die Hard on a boat. There was Die Hard in a phone booth. There's a million Die Hard on a whatever. Yeah. But, this as Die Hard on a Mountain is one of the only ones that's not, uh, you know, where you're locked into a very mm-hmm. contained space. Uh, the as he's exploring the the sort of um, nooks and crannies of the film of the mountain, trying to get ahead of the uh, the teams tracking uh, the suitcases. It is very much like like John McClane going through the unfinished under construction Nakatomi Plaza. Um, it is stuff. exactly. It's, it's really nicely uh, done that way. So I don't think that I'd ever thought Die Hard on a mountain or, or heard that. Um, but I, I do think that's, uh, that's apropos and, and not, not an insult. I think it, no. it, it works really well. Um, I had never heard that there was an NC 17 rating of, uh, on yes. this. So tell me about that. I don't know what that's from. I don't know too much about it. Um, I think it was maybe in the extra features of a Blu-ray I reviewed years ago because I did the research and I wrote the review then and I was rereading my review. 
Um, I think it was, especially the fights with Leon, uh, which does uh-huh. get a little gory, that one. And I think it's the Rooker soccer versus the soccer fan. That one gets a little too much. Um, they got a little too uh, into the gore. And I guess the first cut of the movie made uh, some test audiences actually laugh because of what you were talking about with this. This cut is a nice mix of, you know, hand to hand and then bigger stuff, some explosions. I guess originally it was Stallone was joking. It was like, yeah, my character is able to jump, you know, 300 feet into the air or it was a little too extreme. Like Rennie Harlan loves the big, bold um, action moments and there were too many larger than life ones. And so I think the final cut of this, uh, Stallone was saying you're better with the theatrical cut than what Harlan wanted at the time, though I think he was still proud of the movie, but um, is it's a little more like you've got some everyman action and then you have some, uh, you know, die hard or some bigger stuff going on. So, yeah, this was before he made uh, Rennie Harlan's career was about to turn a little bit. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. he made uh, Cutthroat Island. He made uh, Long Kiss Goodnight, which is a very good action movie. Another one starring his then wife, uh, Gina Davis, of course. Um, but, yeah, I I think he I mean, Stallone worked with them again years later with Driven. Um, and I don't know if he worked with them another time after that speaking of die hard and speed there is a harlan movie i remember really liking that came out uh, a number of years ago 12 rounds did you see that one i have not seen that one okay that one is with um i think it was yeah john cena um and it's kind of like speed basically uh somebody's calling and demanding things so it's a little bit like that so you can kind of see the speed goes back to die hard goes back to so all these movies are kind of stealing from each other but that one i remember liking it's a little cheesy over the top but but i did get a kick out of that there's been a million um sequels um but yeah i have missed some of his most recent stuff as well but i think this one is fun i remember seeing it in the theater cliffhanger and this is one of the only times i remember in the open um hearing a person scream i mean at jurassic (laughs) park i was the one screaming but when and most of us were screaming at jurassic park but this is the only time like in a normal movie i remember hearing a scream and it was when of course he's trying to save the life of Rooker's girlfriend. And she's like slipping out of his grasp at the glove. And this woman just started to scream in the theater. And we all, you know, almost had a heart attack from that. But it shows how effective that sequence is because you're like carefree laughing. And uh, then all of a sudden, you know, oh, my God. And um, yeah. It was a horrifying, horrifying sequence. So, so, uh, I can't imagine how much more terrifying it was on the large on the big screen yeah uh, how many how many years later was uh the ace ventura sequel uh that opens oh, that with spoofed with it yeah right i mean that scene made an impact people watching yeah. ace ventura 2 now may not, not know what yeah. cliffhanger was but yeah it, it definitely it made an impact scary. uh because that was a that was a terrifying terrifying scene i will say too so many of these uh, uh, diehard type movies um, require a crew. 
And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, these crews are, are pretty spotty in their, uh, you know, you got to have all these different personalities bouncing off of each other. Yeah. <laughs> I think Cliffhanger's crew is pretty, pretty great. I do think Leon is a standout presence uh, played by uh, Kinnett. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but um, he was uh, he was good. And I love Rex Lynn as the treasury agent. Um, who oh, isn't is he great the as the double? Ooh, he's yeah. so fantastic in this role. And he's going to show up also in Drop Zone. Uh, but I, I think it's fantastic that uh, he had a career where, you know, this kind of uh, mustachioed bald, bald dude who's not he's not heavy, but he's yeah. like, he's not an action movie Mm-mm. physique uh, or, or movie star uh, sort of, um, you know, handsome or anything like that. But I, I love that that he gets to play. Uh, we get a, a Rex Lynn uh, double feature on this this episode. Yeah, no, that's perfect. The other thing, uh, and I just discovered this today when I was watching Cliffhanger last time, um, like last week, I was thinking about some of the lines, you know, like, ah, this place costs a fortune to heat or whatever, is he's burning money. (laughs) And I'm like, these are a little bit of James Bond kind of one liners. Uh And sure enough, uh, I mean, Stallone was one of the screenwriters, but the other screenwriter was um, Michael France who wrote GoldenEye. So it kind of fits. So there are a little bit of James Bondisms that are kind of floating throughout this thing. Um, but yeah, it it's fun. It does have some humor. The, the band of villains is pretty memorable. I mean, you're, yeah, Lithgow, this might be my favorite uh, Lithgow performance. Like Really? Uh, as far as villains go. Really? Lithgow. Yeah. Why, I mean, not, not, uh, Blowout or uh, Adventures yeah, of Buckaroo yeah. Banzai or yeah, Raising Cane or See, I guess I, I like put it in. This is more of like a, a silly one, but Blowout uh-huh. obviously is the most terrifying. Yeah, uh, Raising I, Cane's pretty pretty uh, silly, and and Buckaroo yeah. Banzai silly, but uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know this one. I think because I watched it eight thousand times as a kid, so <laughs> I, I am partial to Lithgow in this, and yeah. I mean, you can't. I do love him. I do love him, yeah. and he's he's great in this. It's hard to imagine David Bowie uh, fighting uh, Stallone on a crashed was, helicopter. Was um, he going to be one of? The I people? saw I saw okay. him listed as uh, as a as possibility early early casting choices. There were there were a few others that uh, there was one. It sounds like they got pretty close to doing, and Lithgow stopped stepped in at the last moment when they quit. But I forget who that was. So, yeah. Sorry to bring it up. Oh no, you're fine. And, and it's Max cool. Perlick shows up. Yes, exactly. Love but, Max Perlick. <laughs> him showing up is always a good sign in anything. Yes. Yeah. Right. You... Also, also in um, also in Gleaming the Cube. So two, two pretty solid uh, yeah. extreme sports crime thrillers uh, starring Max Perlick. <laughs> I know he was in like everything in that era. We saw yeah. him in our movie club and drugstore cowboy. I, we watched uh, beautiful girls a million times when I was growing up. Saw him in that. I mean, he was Rush. in a lot. Rush. You're right. Yeah. This was yeah. his era, man. <laughs> yeah. Good yeah. Stuff. No, it is fun. Um, I also really like that in both this and in point break, 
we had Lori Petty there. We have Janine Turner. Like these women kind of seem like they would be girls you would have, like girls you grew up with or girls next door that you might actually know. These aren't like, you don't need to have um, Claudia Schiffer or I'm trying to think of at the time, Elizabeth Hurley or somebody like where you might not really buy them as the Rocky Rocky Mountain Rescue or the surf Mm. experts. And I, I did like that about these movies. Yeah. Carolyn Goodall as the uh Oh, she's good. Yeah. She's she's good and oh my god, how awful is it when uh when she gets killed? Uh The worst. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's fan- it's a I mean, it's a fantastic villain moment, but Oh uh, yeah. But it's uh yeah, her um sacrifice. Her, yes. Her her quick uh <laughs> quick exit is uh is a pretty startling moment. It really is. Is there anything else you wanted to point out with this one? No, just high marks all around on this one. Yes. Uh, I love it. So, you know, thank you for choosing the two uh, pinnacles as your choices yeah. <laughs> to represent the genre. We can get <laughs> a little more into my trash fire uh, that hey. I love so much now. <laughs> We've got to do that. Well, yes, we're going to jump there. But I just watched, today I watched Terminal Velocity and I, I made this comment on Twitter, but Terminal Velocity, which came out the same month and year, December 94 is our next film, uh, another skydiving one, made our next film seem like The French Connection by comparison. That's as far as our, I'm concerned. But so I, it made me appreciate Drop Zone a little bit more, let's just say. But there's high concept and then there is drop zone. The ambitious yet in my eyes less than stellar 1994 extreme sports crime thriller from Saturday Night Fever and War Games director John Batham starring Wesley Snipes as a U.S. Marshal determined to figure out who murdered his brother, fellow U.S. Marshal Malcolm Jamal Warner, when the two were bringing a high value prisoner, hacker Michael Jeter, to a different facility when a rogue group of villains stage a jailbreak at 30,000 feet, killing Warner and parachuting from a commercial airliner. Nobody takes Snipes' version of the event seriously, so he goes to look into it himself, forced to surrender his badge and gun when he's blamed for the chaos in the sky. Snipes starts investigating and learns how to skydive from the expert Yancey Butler, whom we discover has no idea her soon-to-be-deceased ex is involved in the proceedings. Also starring Point Break's own Gary Busey as the villain, of course. While Drop Zone is filled with cool action sequences, including one montage so 1994 that it is set to toe the wet sprocket. (laughs) And I do love the elaborate, super convoluted idea of skydivers looking to hack the DEA mainframe, because that's just awesome. It is, though, I think, a pretty forgettable film in my eyes. I mean, I watched it a week ago, and I already forgot most of it. So I still, though, I think it was cool revisiting it for the first time since I saw it in 94. So I was glad about glad to do that. But hey, that's just me. And I know you love it, Jed. So take it away. Drop Zone. Drop Zone. Uh, this one I did see theatrically. This is okay. the only only one of, and I saw it, I think, no less than four times theatrically. Seriously. Wow. Seriously. And uh, I, you know, I will say that it's a film like these others, but again, I have not seen the others theatrically that, that benefits from, from a theatrical presentation. I agree with you. I would think. uh, um, 
I really, really enjoy this film. I will happily, readily admit that watching it in quick succession with stuff like Point Break and Cliffhanger, it does not meet those same uh, high marks. No, unfortunately. Uh, It is is a lot uh, flimsier, uh, both in terms of, well, pretty much just all around. uh, Yeah the the craftsmanship as well as the uh the writing and and uh things like that it is not and and terminal velocity i'll I'll say that too yeah they are not (laughs) on the same level but uh but they do have these moments where Mm -hmm. the momentum um has the momentum carries you through some pretty, pretty outrageous and dumb, dumb scenarios. Um, and the, the, some of the skydiving, particularly at the, uh, the, the finale, the night, nighttime jumps um, with the, you know, in point Super break, they cool. got the night yeah. surfing and this one, we got the nighttime jumps where they're all lit up Yeah, uh, and, and, and doing a lot of, um, aerial uh i don't know what you call it acrobatics or yes or dancing like like uh underwater like swimming pool ballet or <laughs> whatever but they're in the sky and, and it's these big it's almost like a vegas uh showgirl number except uh you know in in um uh except taking place in, in the sky above uh, with red, white, and blue lights attached to uh, the, the different jumpers. It's some pretty spectacular footage that is intercut with some pretty chintzy uh, green screen work. <laughs> yeah, um, it varies with that. Yes. I do. I do think uh, Yancey Butler's a standout in this movie. Um, uh, there's perhaps you know, good reasons why she didn't have a huge, huge career. I know she's, she worked in television a fair amount after that. She had a, a show I never saw uh, and, and, and did some, some other stuff, but man, I was pretty smitten uh, when she first comes on and starts giving uh, Wesley Snipes some lip. And I think she really carries a couple of the action scenes. Like when she uh, hides out in the, in the plane. Oh my God. Uh, that was terrifying. And, like when she hangs out underneath. Yeah. And, but, but even before that, when she's oh. pointing a gun at them and threatening them, like, yeah, I bought that. I bought <laughs> her in that performance in that moment. I was like, she's, uh, I'm genuinely, she's holding up, holding her own, uh, and, and doing, doing great she's really good in the role um yeah she was i think good. they probably could have used her to do a spinoff series uh you know just put her in that jumpsuit again and uh i've i'll, I'll watch another couple movies uh, absolutely um yeah that's uh, true I, I think that it, it was uh early enough in snipes's career that uh he got watching it now uh, having been a, a while since i'd seen it um you forget when he when he's super enthusiastic uh like you don't get to see him be super enthusiastic in anything uh mm-hmm. recently i mean maybe uh yeah maybe he had Dolomite, this fun but, energy i mean yeah it was i was trying to explain to somebody when i was watching drop zone like 
uh, somebody who wasn't around in 94. Like, you guys don't understand. Like, Wesley Snipes was the biggest thing after Passenger 57. I mean, he was like a huge star after some of these movies. And they're like, really? You know, what was the deal? And I mean, this was before he made U.S. Marshals. He's playing a U.S. Marshal. And I think it was a little cheesy. They had um, Malcolm Jamal Warner, like as his literal brother being his partner. It's like, you know, that was a little much. I, I love Malcolm Jamal Warner. And I hated that they whacked him right away, um, which I think was smart casting because immediately you're going to watch this and you're like, hey, it's Theo. Of course you love Theo. And then, you know, Theo gets killed and you're like, God damn it. So um, so that was good. But I don't think they needed to make him his like real life brother. I think that was a bit much. <laughs> but I do love Snipes. You get Snipes on a plane again after Passenger mm-hmm. 57. It's like, you know, how can you go wrong? So that's really fun. You were pointing out the um, the night jump, which is incredible. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this movie reminded me of, because I had forgotten about the 4th of July thing. My aunt Jill told this horrible story um, from the 1970s. Like she was at in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, 4th of July festivities. And it involved some skydivers coming down. And one of them, the chute didn't open. And he... Um, she saw him bounce and he died oh, wow. and she's like, that was 4th of July. And she's told this story about what had happened. And uh, I think it was the seventies. I don't remember, but she told this horrible story. And so when I was watching that, all of a sudden I'm like, I start the movie. like, Oh, this reminds me of remember when Jill, I was telling uh, a relative that, you know, told us that story. Oh yeah, I do remember that. I think, I think it was the 4th of July. And then that happens in the movie. And you're like, Oh, so that was a little strange, but um, I love the DEA mainframe. I love how these movies, especially the big dumb action movies from this era, it couldn't just be one thing. Like they can't be just trying to steal something. It mm-hmm. has to be like a hat on a hat on a hat on a, like they have to, you know, keep raising the stakes or make it um, so extreme. And I do love that about this. So yeah, it's, it's a fun one. It's not my favorite. But uh, like I said, after watching Total Velocity today, all of a sudden, like, you know, kind of, oh, drop zone drop, a little bit of an apology. <laughs> yeah. You know, John Badham uh, is, I think he's probably an underrated filmmaker, you know, Saturday Night director. Fever. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of attention. Um, but, you know, he's kind of, uh, kind of sneaky with his popcorn fare you know i mean saturday night fever is really not a popcorn movie but its legacy no. is you know you think of it as the disco movie but it's it's, it's really so not so it's much so dark <laughs> yeah it's more than that and blue thunder which was absolutely a popcorn movie an action thriller about a you know a smart helicopter smart tech stuff there was a bunch of those in the 80s too uh, uh but um it was you know interesting stuff about the surveillance state and yeah. um, snuck in there and stakeouts. One of my favorite crime comedies, the hard ways, one of my favorite. Oh crime God, comedies. that's a good movie. Uh, the, the, um, his, you know, a couple other sports movies he did American flyers and the bingo mm-hmm. long traveling all stars and motor Kings or, you know, he's, he's versatile and, uh, and, you know, not somebody you tend to think of as, as, uh, you know, auteurish. Uh, no, but uh, but really, 
pretty solid, knows how to deliver the goods um, in a, yep. a lot of different genres. And um, yeah, I think, I think underrated and I think drop zone fits right into his body of work in a, uh, in a, a pretty, pretty satisfying way. Great cast in it too. Um, mm -hmm. Outside of uh, Snipes and, and who was, you know, yes, big, but also big in a way that we didn't quite know where, you know, who he was. Yeah. What to know. do with him basically um, the energy. Yeah. And I mean, he had, had great energy. Apparently, uh um steven seagal was up for the role at one point i know yeah i cannot imagine steven seagal in this movie i mean talk about not, a, he can't really a deliver lead this. balloon you know yeah. uh he would yeah fall to the earth and make a crater i think um, yeah but uh, that's a good good analogy there yes and like you're but, talking about um, with John Badham too, he made Nick of Time and that kind of ties in. Mm -hmm. It's Johnny Depp. And that was the first movie I ever reviewed um, for my high school newspaper, if I remember right. Really? It's Nick of Time. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, it all comes back. We we're circling back with Johnny Depp in an action movie that is not extreme sports, but it is crime. So, yeah. Yeah. But no. Bird, Bird I, on a Wire was kind of fun. I mean... <laughs> Oh yeah, Goldie Hawn, Mel Gibson. Uh -huh. That was fun. Uh, Point of No Return was not great. The remake of uh, La Femme Nikita, but I mean, it's watchable. But yeah, yeah, it had had some had some moments. Um, yeah, I think I think he and uh, you know maybe Peter Hyams are are, are uh, underrated in the same kind of kind of way in delivering these. Um, yeah, the, yeah, just these entertainments that mm -hmm. are, are pretty satisfying on um, on uh, especially in in retrospect when you, when you look back, you know, it's easy to pick apart movies when they first come out for not being what you thought they were trying to be yeah. or something. But but when you look back, give it some space, and you look back and say we had it pretty good, had it pretty good with Michael Jeter uh, as a as a nine fingered. Uh, computer hacker. Oh and, my god, um, he was so know, good. Yeah, funny uh, as hell. And uh, he's very funny. Um, this great, it's good stuff. I, mm -hmm. I I don't have any complaints about Drop Zone. Um, I just think don't watch it in such close succession <laughs> with cliffhanger with, and point break. Yes. Cliffhanger and point break. Yeah. Absolutely. Watch drop zone and terminal velocity back. Yeah. To back. Uh, Maybe those. start with terminal velocity. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you start with it. So uh, drop zone's better, but uh, yeah, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy terminal velocity. I know too. you That's, do. Uh, did you see that at the theater? I think I saw I that. did. Okay. I saw that at the theater. I, that, that climactic sequence when Natasha Kinski's locked in the, in the trunk of the car and it's just, he's got a fight. They jump out of the plane with the car. I mean, he's, he's got a yeah. fight. Uh, was it Christopher McDonald or yes. and the James other guy? Gandolfini and yeah, James Gandolfini skydiving in terminal velocity is something you don't see every day, no. but uh, he's, he's got a fight <laughs> for the, the keys and then unlock the trunk and uh pull her out and pull the the ripcord i mean that's 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 yeah. high quality stuff even though it's clearly green screen i love that they cheated 
the show Mythbusters apparently uh, tried to do. Um, oh, with the car. The, the, well, Mythbusters did an episode where they uh, specifically doing Point Break, where these guys are skydiving and talking to each other, and um, also <laughs> uh, they the scene where where uh, Keanu jumps out of the plane without a um, without a parachute and and is and able can, to to yeah. catch up to. So they tried to do that and see it, and they the main thing was they said that four thousand foot jump takes about 30 seconds not okay. 90 not 90 seconds and terminal velocity it's about five minutes long of oh gotcha fall, of falling it is just non-stop falling now i do love that they uh they extend the uh fall the life of the fall by having them actually fall like into the grand canyon or something like that it is yeah not just from a great height they then continue falling uh straight through uh this giant hole in the earth and uh, that's yeah. amazing so uh, <laughs> I, I have a lot of uh fond memories with that one fondness for terminal velocity uh, but yeah i understand it's not it's not the same thing we're talking about no well as we said earlier we did limit it to four but are there any films you would like to recommend besides terminal velocity and a couple of the Trenchard Smiths and the few we shouted out that you want to tell people to see that fit the theme. Sure. Um, I would say, you know, I did also watch, we talked about river wild being one um, and yeah. it's better than I remembered. Like it was not one that, that I, I did see that one theatrically a couple of times actually, but um, it's better than I remembered, but that, the you kid the in kid. that movie is so movie. irritating <laughs> but yeah I uh, it really brings me down um there's <laughs> a there's a pretty terrific uh french film um on netflix uh it's a netflix original here um uh from director yen uh yen goslin called burnout okay. uh, about a um about a a competitive um motorcycle racer Oh, cool! Who uh, takes on a job smuggling drugs uh, across across borders? You know, getting in high speed pursuits at night. Uh, it's it's super stylish, fun. It's um, it's a much more serious film uh, in tone than mm. these kind of wilder ones. There's another. There's a German film or Austrian film uh, called Robber uh, from Benjamin Heisenberg. Um, based on a true story about a prisoner. It'd make a great double feature actually with uh, Michael Mann's Jericho Miles about a prisoner who trains to be a a marathon runner. Yep. And he, uh, when he gets out, he uses his uh, marathon training as a, um, as a cover for his bank robbing. And he like runs (laughs) uh, cross country and robs banks. And that's pretty, pretty good stuff um uh i you know we didn't get into parkour at all but uh you know parkour movies uh like uh, b13 and and the sequel um and the american remake brick mansions and the taylor laudner uh tracers uh and the the french love these movies yeah Yeah. yamakaze and yamakaze 2 and um (laughs) there's those are pretty beautiful. Um, 
you know, even the Taylor Lautner movie, I was like, I really enjoyed watching the uh, just the 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 chasing and and the the improvising uh, is is fun to watch. I think Premium Rush with J- Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Michael that. Shannon. Yeah, that was pretty that's, good. That's pretty good. Serio uh, uh, H. Santiago had one in the 70s called Ebony, Ivory, and Jade about uh, Olympic female Olympic athletes who get uh, uh, held hostage. It's It was very much kind of in the wake of the, um, of the Munich Games. Uh, but uh, these these ladies, uh, you know, take it upon themselves to, uh, free themselves. Uh, and it, it, it's fun. I think hard rain with Christian Slater and Morgan Freeman counts because, uh, it's, it's a bank robbery that takes place in a flooded, a flash flooded, uh, town or rather an armored truck robbery that takes place there. And, uh, because of the utilization, the heavy utilization of, uh, uh, jet skis uh to get around that is uh, a fun movie i thought I, hard rain yeah, is great yeah i do think it counts okay. this is the, the whole uh sort of sub sub genre of tournament movies you know fight tournament movies where they put in a crime mm-hmm. uh undertone things like enter the dragon and blood sport count um angel fist uh, and firecracker from Sirio Santiago are, are fun. Jim Cotta, mm-hmm. if it were, you know, crime instead of fantasy, I think is a pretty perfect example of the, the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. I get watching. on and on. <laughs> no, that's cool. And I'm sure you have a list that you've created on letterbox. Send me the link and I'll be sure to post it when I um, share this episode. Yeah. Okay. Sounds yeah. great. Well, this was so much fun, Jed. I want to say thank you for doing this and for, yeah. uh, you know, killing some time with me talking about these great movies. Um, yeah, lots of fun. And I had so much fun watching these. It's nice to interrupt some of the more highbrow titles that I'm watching that are a little bit yes. heavier with a little bit of point break. Yeah. Little BMX bandits. Never hurt anybody. Yeah. Never hurt. Uh, let me just, uh, we can't get out of the episode without me saying that uh, maybe Rob Cohen and Vin Diesel's uh, partnership oh, yeah. is, is the Scorsese De Niro uh, relationship of the extreme sports <laughs> uh, crime thrillers with the fast and furious and triple X uh, series under their, um, uh, under their, okay. Their relationship. That, yeah, so. that's a bold statement, but those are some bold huge statement. movies. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, this is awesome, Jed. Thanks again. Yep. Thanks for having me, Jen. This is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and Film Intuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. <laughs>